Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Menashe. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We have a great guest all the way from Fort Worth, Texas. Welcome to the show, Chris Raleigh. Thanks for having me today, Victor. Great to have you here. Now, Chris, you are specializing more on the agricultural side. And we've did a deep dive on agriculture a couple of weeks ago. And we'd love to get your perspective on a lot of what's happening in the world of agriculture. But before we do, why don't you give a little bit of your backstory and how you got to this point in your journey? Yeah, so I have been interested in real estate investing for probably two decades now, have a bit of a, a, a gene for it as my father was in self-storage he was one of the early pioneers in that industry back in the 70s. Uh, my father, grandfather was involved in uh, setting up corner drugstores back in like the 50s. So you know, it's, it's, it was kind of natural that I get into this field. So after I left uh, active duty on the Navy side, I started dabbling in real estate investing. I took a journey that, that probably is familiar to a lot of people were started messing around with single family homes and progressed and a little bit of multifamily and land development and commercial and you name it, I kind of dabbled in it. And then after the uh, 2008 crisis, real estate crisis, I, I started thinking about land and agriculture production and how that was a really underinvested area and decided I wanted to invest in a farm. And at that time, there really weren't a lot of good ways to do that unless you had a lot of know-how a few million dollars. You knew people with tractors and farmers and things like that. And I didn't have any of those things. Um, so long story short, I decided to build a platform. I skipped a, skipped a lot of steps and built a platform for people to invest in agriculture. So we started Harvest Returns back in 2016. We've helped probably 40 different companies, farmers, ranchers raise uh, upwards of about $30 million in a variety of different types of agricultural assets. Um, grass-fed livestock, regenerative agriculture, indoor agriculture, and some agriculture technology operated companies themselves. Fascinating. Well, I've always believed that the value of land is linked directly to what you can do with it. Mm -hmm. That's partly entitlement. That's partly the natural attributes of that land. So, for example, if you have something where the topography is a little too rich and you can't do much with it, it might be beautiful, but it's probably not worth very much. If you have land that is zoned, say, agricultural, it's it's worth a few thousand an acre pretty much anywhere in the country unless you're maybe growing weed on it, in which case it might be a tiny bit more. And then as soon as you start getting into the world of development, depending on the density, that's when you start to get those big multipliers you know, a high-rise building in Manhattan, it's tens of millions per acre. If it's uh, a residential subdivision in the outskirts of a city, it might be a few hundred thousand an acre. And and then everything in between. So when we talk about agricultural land, we're often talking about creating value at that end of the spectrum where the, the land has to have real agricultural value. Isn't mm-hmm. that right? Right, and that's that's a factor of uh, any number of things. You know, the fertility of the soil, the weather where it's located, uh, the type of crops that can be grown there, the location as far as uh, distribution possibilities on on what you're growing. There's obviously some parts of the country like like Central Valley California, Salinas Valley California, where all that infrastructure is in place, um, and and then labor availability, all those sorts of normal things you think about when you're doing real estate development. 
Absolutely. So, we, I mean, it's no secret. We have a, a major, major uh, food crisis upon us and, and growing mm-hmm. for a whole host of reasons. We talked about it on the show a few weeks ago. Uh, so much of the land that could be uh, reserved for agriculture is going into fuel, fuel tanks for ethanol. Uh, we have fertilizer shortages. We have land that is no longer contains soil, but it contains dirt and is really has to rely on synthetic fertilizers to grow anything at all because that land has been stripped bare of nutrients. Uh, there's a lot of headwinds that are uh, attacking the agricultural industry as a whole after decades of growing yields. And we are now facing a situation where we may actually face falling yields. Um, where does that take us? So, you know, it's, a, it's an excellent question. It's a very important question, you know, as real estate investors, but not just real estate investors, as consumers and people who all eat food and need it to survive, this, this should be at the top of everyone's minds right now. Um, I, we're very bullish on agriculture for a number of reasons. Obviously, it's, it's a growing, it's going to continue to grow because the consumer uh, the population continues to grow. And as you have mentioned previously, um, consumers and, and societies will consume more calories and they will change their spending habits as the societies become wealthier. So in order for agriculture to evolve, to keep up with that demand, um, changes are going to have to be made in the way we produce food. And there's a lot of technology right now agriculture is going through. It, it, it's like many industries, there's waves of, of, of uh, evolution. There was a big wave in the 1950s when kind of chemical fertilizers came into being and you know, really increased those yields and took us up to where we are now. That, that hasn't really changed much until the past 10 years or so. And now we see application of precision agriculture. So like sensors in the fields, drones for surveillance that help a, a, a farmer optimize, um, you know, the application of fertilizer, application of pesticides, those sorts of things. Um, a really close attention of, of the impact that agriculture is making on the soil and the land, as you mentioned, and, and the watershed. And, and that's being, um, there's, there's different ways that agriculture is adopting. Some of the, one of those ways is vertical farms, indoor controlled environment agriculture, CEA is kind of the the, the term that we like to use, and that's enables people to grow food where it normally wouldn't grow and do it with less of an environmental impact. So number of factors are, are rapidly um, helping agriculture to, to adapt to those, those challenges. So, so let's talk about that because it's, it's one that's interesting. I mean, there's a lot of technologies, ver- vertical hydroponics. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm aware that, for example, Whole Foods, now part of Amazon, I want to say it was 2017, don't quote me on the date, but I have a feeling that it was around that time, convinced the Food and Drug Administration to allow hydroponically grown produce um, to be classified as organic, mm-hmm. which opens the the possibility of, say, an Amazon fulfillment center becoming a greenhouse for high-priced herbs and things like that that would have a very short shelf life where you have a high spoilage rate, get rid of those transportation issues. And now you're, you know, doing basil, mint, oregano, all those high value herbs, pretty close to the point of consumption. Is that what we're talking about? Are we talking about taking that even further down the the food chain, if you forgive the pun? 
Yeah, it's the, those models or business models are still evolving. Um, I could certainly see something like you talk where, where you have a big retailer that wants to grow. And, and we've, we've, um, we've, we've talked to some of those companies, there's larger outdoor greenhouses that are, you know, hundreds of acres that are producing food under glass. Um, you know, those usually specialize in one type of thing, say tomatoes. Um, but there's, there's a smaller farms that can be in urban areas or suburban areas that are growing those specialized sorts of crops like herbs and leafy greens, um, microgreens, things like that, that can be sent directly to a restaurant. So you're cutting out a whole lot of middleman there, um, which is great because it, it improves the margins of the farmers. Most farmers don't make a lot of money. Their margins are like paper thin. So if you cut out a lot of that distribution, not just the time and the, the distance, um, but actually the you know different layers of the of the distribution, the supply chain, you can make more money for everybody involved and save money for the people um, sending out the the food. I'm glad you mentioned greenhouses. I know there have been experiments. For example, there's a company based here in Canada, I think it was called Canopy, that bought an old Hershey chocolate factory and they started growing weed in it for which is a high value, uh, very high value crop under uh, ultraviolet light and they found that they were not cost competitive with the greenhouses that were using the power of the sun and ended up ultimately taking a multi-hundred million dollar write down on that investment because they simply couldn't compete with greenhouses as the most cost-effective efficient way of growing something in climates that otherwise might be inhospitable to it. Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, that is one of the challenges, especially this year with the price of energy just going skyrocketing that some of these indoor growers are having with the LED lights. And as you you know, mentioned, a lot of the technology that is going into vertical farms was developed for the can of cannabis space. Um, and now that kind of floated into growing microgreens and things like that. So we have issues here in North America, we have issues globally. I mean, we have folks, subsistence farmers in South America and other parts of the world that simply don't have the cash to afford the fertilizer to buy fertilizer today's higher prices. So they're either getting out of it or they're putting up with lower yield, significantly lower yield. Um, where does this fit in the spectrum? It's a problem. Um and, and I'd say the other that the, the the other tangent of that is is the ESG movement and the organic movement is is not helping in some of those areas where food insecurity is rampant. So Sri Lanka, for example, they passed a mandate because they'd been promised a lot of money from the World Bank and a lot of incentives from the World Bank. Hey, if you only go organic, so they did that, and their farmers couldn't grow enough food for the country, and they revolted, and there's pandemonium there. Um, so it's a, it's a double-edged sword. You know, we definitely need to preserve the soil, uh, the nutrients, as you, as you mentioned, um, and grow food responsibly. But we got a lot of people to feed, and not everyone can afford, you know, non-GMO, organic. The the volume of food that has to be produced, there's there's going to be a balance there. So in in the wealthier countries, you're going to see uh, more people moving towards more sustainable types of agriculture production but the the industrial high yield production is is not going away anytime soon because we're going to have to grow that food in to feed the developing you know parts of the world so as an investment platform uh, you're very focused on where there's opportunity to find value opportunity to find you know create 
uh, value to find yield. Uh, where do the opportunities lie in your estimation? Yeah, for us, we, we are, um, we, we do steer more towards that regenerative type of agriculture um, types of food production that involve leveraging technology, whether it's indoor agriculture or the companies that are producing that technology themselves. Um, we've invested in some precision agriculture companies um, in alternative sorts of alternative sorts of food um, production. We like um, one of the unique things that we do is grass fed cattle um, and regenerative livestock. There's very few places to mine it knowledge that you can invest in that sort of uh, product. And that's what we did. That's one of the things where verticals that we specialize in. That's awesome. And, and so I come from the tech world uh, where we often uh, did a lot of leading edge work and uh, we often refer to it affectionately as the bleeding edge because mm-hmm. uh, things aren't necessarily proven in all cases. Um, how do you, what, what's your philosophy in terms of being at the leading edge versus being a fast follower, doing it better? Yeah, that's a great, great thing. We have a portfolio that we manage, you know, the way our, our model works is individual operating companies come to us and they want to raise capital. And we look at where they sort of fit into our portfolio and we have a, a fairly balanced, portfolio of, of agriculture production versus agriculture operating companies and agribusinesses. And the ag tech company on the tech side, those companies that come to us, we have done some very early stage, sort of what one would call a seed round. And with those companies, obviously high risk, potential high payoff. And they all, you know, there's several, there's a biotech component. There's a, a precision ag component. There's, um, a sustainability component, uh, different companies focused on slightly different things. And we, we look at them as a whole and kind of make sure that the, they're going to be attractive to our investors and they've got solid teams behind them. And that's the, the type of companies that we put on the platform. Well, Chris, if folks want to connect, if they want to learn more, what's the best way? Yeah, best way is to just hit us up on the internet, harvestreturns.com. We've got some educational content there in our blogs and we put out a lot of social media and we definitely want, this is an asset class that's not very familiar to a lot of people and the, the real estate investing scheme. So we want you to um, educate yourselves before you invest and feel free to reach out to our team and uh, ask us questions. Wonderful. Well, enjoy the conversation. Love the perspective. And for the listeners at home, definitely connect with Chris at harvestreturns.com. The link will be in the show notes. And in the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.